Tracy Fuller, and this is the Arts Report for this Wednesday, November 19th, 2008. I've got a fantastic and wonderful show lined up for you today. This is the first of my two fun drive shows. So the aim of the next half hour is to raise our current fantastic, amazing total of $8,060.80 to the $8,100 mark. I know you can do it. Work with me here, people. This is, CITR is one of the best stations, the best station in Vancouver, and we can only be as good as we are with your help. So please call in. It's 822-8648. Uh, um, I've got tickets to theatre at UBC's play Unity 1918 by Kevin Kerr to give away to the first people who call in this afternoon. I have four, set, four tickets, two sets of two. So get on the phone and give us a call at 822-8648. That's 604 UBC unit and I actually do have Kevin Kerr in studio today so a little bit later on and we'll be having a conversation but before I get to that last night I went out to the first of the three shindig semi-finals that's CITR's weekly battle of the bands at the railway club in downtown Vancouver and it was a great and amazing rockin night and I took the opportunity excuse me to ask a couple of the people who were there uh what what CITR means to them, what, why it's important, and why people should get out and uh, attend our events and support the station, etc. So I've, I've split this into two parts, but this is the first part of my uh, shindig coverage for this first 2008. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Jordi Yao. I'm the editor of Discorder Magazine. And Jordi, 
What does CITR mean to you? CITR is the only place where I have friends who I can nerd about, nerd out about music as much as I actually feel like I need to. You know, it's um, it really just sort of like completes that part of my life, which is maybe like half my life. It's like a huge, it's, it's everything. Thank you, Jordi. That was touching. You're welcome. I'm Brenda, the station manager. And Brenda, what does CITR mean to you? Well, Tracy, I think CITR means a lot of people who are very passionate about different kinds of music and alternative news. And I'm very impressed the longer I stay here at the quality of programming and the amount of passion that goes into these people's programming. I agree, Brenda. And I'm very proud to mention that tonight we've reached a milestone in our uh, fun drive. Would you like to share that with our uh, listening audience? Yes. We have just reached $7,000, and it is 11.38 on Tuesday, November 18th, and we're not even halfway through our fun drive, and we are almost halfway to our goal of $15,000. So come to our Biltmore party on the 29th. Yes, do. And that's it. Today is a momentous day. Not halfway, and yet we're almost halfway. Hooray! My name is Judy, and I'm from Germany. And I just love CITR. I also listen to CITR online in Germany because you have all these fancy music shows on air. And I just love it. You have like jazz shows and rock and punk and every kind of music I really like and enjoy. And so what, what are you doing for CITR right now? I'm a volunteer in CITR right now. I'm doing an internship, and I'm involved in news and theater and, like, everything, music kind of stuff, like public service announcements, and I just love the people who work there. So just support us. Support the people who work there because they're great. So in your opinion, do you think that the very best place in Vancouver entirely, maybe in the whole lower mainland, do you think it's CITR? CITR is definitely the place to be. Thank you. All the way from Germany, thank you. Thank you very much, Stacey, as well. First thing you have to tell me is your name. Marlis. And Marlis, what does CITR mean to you? It's a place that gives Brenda employment. And why is that important to you? Because she's a friend and she's going to live with me, and so therefore she needs to have a job. But really, it's a good station for promoting local live music. Absolutely. And do you... Do you come to the Railway Club often? I aim for every Tuesday, but it's been about every other one. Well, I mean, that's a good start. We're just running into the end of the Shindig Finals, so from now on, can we expect you here? Absolutely. Thank you, Marlis. With beer in hand. Excellent. And what are you drinking tonight? A lager. A free lager, even better. <laughs> that's the deal. That's my favorite kind of beer. Thanks. Amy? And Amy, what does CITR mean to you? Uh, well, I'm new to CITR, but so far, I'm impressed. It's a good night tonight. Have you enjoyed the bands you've heard so far? Yeah, I have. And do you think you'll come back to the Railway Club next Tuesday night? Uh, definitely. I think I will. It's, it's a great venue. Very relaxed. And lovely, lovely people, if I do say so myself. Lovely people. Yeah, it's got a really good vibe to it. My name's Penny Clark. I'm a volunteer for CITR. And Penny, what does CITR 
CITR mean to you? CITR means good times. <laughs> well, we're at, we're here at the Railway Club tonight. Uh, have, have you been having a specifically good time here tonight? Yes, I've been selling t-shirts. They're awesome. They make me happy being around them. Everyone should buy t-shirts from CITR. Excellent. Thank you, Benny. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, so we have, are you from Britain? Yes, I am. And so what's your name? Jay. So you're selling t-shirts here tonight at the CITR merchandise table at the Railway Club. Um, how, are, how, how are sales going tonight? Sales are going very well. We've made a grand total of naught, but like, <laughs> it will improve, hopefully through the night and if all else fails I really like this nice brown number so I shall be buying it <laughs> well things $30 put into the well there we go it sounds like uh, Becky is about to get things started here so I'm, I'm gonna cut out but thank you thank you so much for uh, helping us out here at CITR tonight no problem, no problem. And I'm just going to fade that out. That's part one of my forays into Shindig last night at the Railway Club. And um, I think that all of you listening should come out. It's an excellent, amazing night and uh, lots of fun. But now um, I, I will play part two a little later on in the show. But right now I have the great pleasure of welcoming the Governor General Award winning playwright and UBC alumni Kevin Kerr to the program. He's joining me in studio this afternoon and Kevin is also a founding member of the Electric Company Theater here in Vancouver. He's authored and co-authored numerous plays, some of which have toured internationally. Others have been turned into television programs. He's currently uh, adapting Pierre Burton's um, The Secret World of Og, which is uh, one of my favorite children's stories. I certainly was read it a number of times when I was a kid. And um, he's also the, the Lee playwright in residence at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. And thank you so much, Kevin, for joining me here today. Thank you for having me, Tracy. It's great to be here. No problem. Um, so um, the main reason why you're here on campus today is um, because your play, Unity 1918, is on stage at the Friedrich Wood Theatre nowadays. And um, have you seen this new production? I haven't. I'm actually going to see it tonight. Oh, are you excited? Yeah, I'm totally. I'm, I'm uh, great friends with the director. Uh, he directed, uh, co-directed the last piece I did. And uh, I'm just, yeah, really dying to see kind of what what sort of shape it's taken now. And uh, they've been also having the symposium over there in the last couple of days, and I took part of that today. So mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about that a little <clears> later, <throat> but okay. I, since you mentioned it, um, the symposium is on uh, representations of Canadian war in theatre, is that right? Yes, yes, that's it. It's uh, looking at representing war um, on stage. Mm -hmm. And it's been going on for the last two days. Unfortunately, today is the last day, but it comes at a wonderful time because... Uh, Billy Bishop Goes to War just closed at the Telus Theatre, and your play just opened at yes. the Friedrich Wood. Um, can you, how's your experience been at the symposium? Oh, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah, I, I got to hear her first thing this morning and uh, spent the whole day there hearing some fantastic um, um, uh, presentations, some great papers, and then I was on a couple of panels just chatting about. And uh, kind of intimidating, too, in a weird way, because uh, it's got that whole academic frame around it where there's people up there talking in great, you know, language of critical theory and and um 
and feeling a little bit, you know, um, out of my element in some ways because it's just uh, I'm coming at it just as uh, as a playwright. So it's not the same sort of vein, but uh, it's well, it's cool. Well, definitely. I one of my one of the questions that I had. I I've I haven't seen the production myself either, <laughs> but I have read Unity, and one of the questions that sort of occurs to me is that. Uh, when you look at something like Passchendaele, which is in the theaters now, or Billy Bishop, which is a well-known Canadian sort of tale of, of war, there's a structure in a way that we talk about the great world wars, and we tell those stories, but we still have many troops abroad, and it's, I, I, I personally find it very difficult to understand, and you rarely hear stories of our current wars. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of how, like, how do we tell stories of modern wars? Well, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it is really, it's an interesting thing when, um, when dealing with this kind of, it, it, in some ways, I, it, it feels like one of our avenues of discussion about a contemporary war, like being in Afghanistan right now, is actually through the lens of history to try to get some sort of perspective or distance. Um, I think at times it's, 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 it's the immediate immediacy of of the current situation it's hard to gain a sort of sense of perspective um which i'd heard this interesting conversation about war artists uh that were sent to you know both uh, historically going to like the world wars and stuff uh, being sent to paint um and as well as uh contemporary the the you know the practice is still done sending artists to um conflict zones and 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 painting what they see but the artists I heard talking about it mentioned that they needed to usually take you know months away after the being in the in the battlefield uh, before they could and that kind of period of reflection is kind of I think important to be able to transform something into an artistic um, expression I think uh, I think that uh, distance is necessary though there is some interesting stuff um, uh, young young Canadian playwright named Jason Mahogany's um, 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 written a play called Gas, which is about uh, the, the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Canadian um, uh, play, but uh, all kind of with them looking at the American um, occupation there. And, uh, and it's kind of fascinating because of its immediacy. It's very gritty and, mm-hmm. and really kind of um, harsh and cinematic. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I mean, I guess a lot of people think of the great blockbuster films as well. Like, we have... A lot of American representations mm-hmm. of, of their great wars of um, Pearl Harbor, etc. Um, but you don't see a lot of the Canadian stories being told in the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 the last time anyone talked to me in an academic sense about a Canadian war is in grade 10, history <laughs> class. And uh, I must admit that I, I don't feel like I know the stories as well as I do some of the American stories, which are retold and told again and told with pride and honor in this, in the way that I, I wonder whether it's our Canadian bashfulness almost to be like, oh, well, yeah, we kind of killed everyone and <laughs> came in and saved the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, well, you know, I think one real reason for it is, is the presence of, um, you know, is, is the influence of Hollywood and, uh, and it's, you know, Canadian, uh, Canadian cinema doesn't have the financial capacity to, um, to do that kind of storytelling that we see coming out of America, whether or not, you know, however you feel about their 
version of their own history. And, right. Um, which, <clears throat> you know, it's fiction can, or nonfiction. Yeah, take your choice. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's been obviously both uh, and lots of different kind of uh, middle ground. But, you know, it's to represent something like, you know, um, you know, Passchendaele, although I haven't seen the film, um, um, it's unique in that it's the most expensive Canadian movie ever made. Um, and it costs 20-something million dollars, which is kind of peanuts in American standards. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. If you think of Titanic <clears throat> costing $300 million, and it's now not, it's not the, the, s- most the most expensive, expensive movie ever made. Yeah. yeah. So it's very, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's the scale. So to represent a battlefield, you know, accurately and authentically um, takes a lot of money. And most Canadian funding, the funding structure in Canadian film caps out at something like 6 or $7 million. So it just means that I think our storytelling ends up having to take on different kind of you know, um, different types of investigations as opposed to that big kind of blockbuster style that we see in the States, which is interesting that then I think in a way where representations of war tend to happen in Canada or in places that are more affordable, like theater, and obviously in the novel as well, it appears. Um, but that doesn't have the wide-ranging kind of reach that film does, so it doesn't necessarily um, bore its way into our collective consciousness in the same way. Uh, True, and I think that sort of taps into uh, your play, Unity. Um, It tells the story not only of sort of the World War and what what was going on in Europe, etc., but it talks about, it brings you into Unity, Saskatchewan, Mm -hmm. into a small community, and you get the the reflection of how that affects the people back home and how um, there's one soldier who returns who's blind and you really get a different story told that's but is just as real and, and just as moving i guess uh, one question i have to ask is um your play you've dedicated it to the memory of violet kezia markinson have i said this right yes who is Violet, and why have you dedicated the play to her memory? Uh, Violet was my grandmother, uh, oh, okay. and um, and I guess you know, um, um, thinking about um, the idea of uh, myths of you know the hero or valor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she definitely was a hero of mine, um, and but in a very um, wonderfully local kind of fashion and and uh just a really beautiful human being um that uh that uh, uh i think influenced uh, me greatly and uh she's uh, um uh her home was a small town in saskatchewan and that was sort of the saskatchewan connection for me i grew up in bc and uh but our family would make these trips back to my mom's hometown and um and and there kind of was this um the the landscape i think kind of um embedded itself for me in this sort of um way of it feeling a bit uh, familiar but also kind of mythic in its sort of um the 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 scale of it and i mean i really love being out there in that kind of vast openness and big sky uh, country yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 an it's an incredibly um overwhelming kind of emotional place i think if you lived there it's a different kind of relationship with it but for me being an outsider it it took on this kind of other other um kind of placement and and so when the play when i started working on it uh it just sort of naturally for whatever reason started to feel like it was located there before I knew much more about it but so um so I spent um a chunk of time doing research um in Saskatchewan and and uh specifically in my uh mom's old hometown 
which wasn't Unity. Um, it, it was a town that didn't have quite as sexy a name, so <laughs> <laughs> I decided on Unity because uh, it fits so well poetically mm -hmm. in the in the court in the in the context of the play. But uh, yeah, but that was actually that other town that was really the 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 influence, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, thinking about the play now, you it was originally published, I believe, in two thousand. Two thousand and two, actually. Two thousand and two. Yeah. yeah. Um, does, does your conception of your own play change after a while? I mean, once it's out there and it's been produced a couple of times in different places, coming back to it now, is it? when's the last time you saw a production of this play? Well, um, coincidentally, not that long ago, because it just so happened, very, uh, um, yeah, coincidentally, the Alberta Theatre Projects in Calgary produced it uh, this, this fall. Okay. So I saw their production maybe a month and a half mm -hmm. ago or something. So it's kind of fresh that way. And as a result, um, you know, chatting with both the artistic team of that project, excuse me, and, um, and, the, um, <clears throat> and also just heading into conversations with Stephen Drover, the director of the, of the production here, has made me kind of revisit it a lot lately, just talking about what, where things are coming from or what I, you know, um, uh, was getting at or whatever in a particular moment in the play. Mm -hmm. And so it has been interesting to kind of, you know, um, be back in that world. And it is, I think, a little different. It does change. Um, some stuff just, uh, some stuff takes on a kind of different, um, um, it, it, it feels like it's, it's drifted off into being its own kind of uh, uh, thing that it feels almost foreign of sorts. You can't really... So there's parts of it that I, I have trouble relocating where those things came from. Other parts still feel really fresh and... And, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it, uh, it's definitely kind of a evolving relationship, I suppose, with, right. uh, with the story. Well, I mean, I, I have a couple of questions. We, we don't have too much time, actually. But I guess... One thing I, I want to touch on is that uh, in the play, uh, it deals as well with an influenza epidemic that came across Canada and killed thousands of people at the same time as the war coming to an end. And um, there's a, a when the epidemic first hits this, the town of Unity, people are being quarantined because, out of fear, not out of actual... Um, um, infection of the disease. And we were talking a little bit before we actually started the show today about the culture of fear and about in in the way that we understand, I, I guess, um, wars these days. How, how big a role do you think fear plays in, in how we respond or how we react to, I guess, the theater of, the media theater of war and the the wars that are sort of going on in our consciousness these days? Well, I think, you know, it is um, a really contemporary... I don't know if it's... I mean, I think it, uh, it it's um, definitely a, was a departure point of, of many that, for me, in the, in the, in the piece, um, in thinking about the idea of fear and its um, um, contagious kind of quality. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and uh, thinking about this time where, for me, the play uh, um, uh, has a exploration, I guess, of sort of the collision point of the really, really, really local uh, meeting the really, really global. And um, and I thought, you know, it was a, it was interesting for me to think of this time being maybe the first time where the sense of the, of our new global society was really coming, was really um, becoming apparent. Mm -hmm. And that war, 
the movement at the end of World War I of troops around the world heading home and going different places was a big factor of the, of the reason this in, p- pandemic spread the way it did. And it touched every part of the planet. And it was quite outrageous, the uh, devastation that it wrought. And also, it was, I thought, interesting that it didn't get too uh, big a place in, um, in our collective memory, right? It was sort of overshadowed by the war. And for me, it was interesting to think about where, how we remember and the idea of a, you know, glorious death versus inglorious death and this role, you know, this, this, this thing, this, this epidemic that couldn't be moralized, so it kind of got swept away. But fear is, you know, and at the, when I was in the very early stages of writing, it was actually back in, like, late 1998. And uh, as I was beginning the process, one of the things that was present was the ridiculous... Um, uh, uh, Y2K panic, it, which, yes. which, is, which is comical. Uh, well, well, it was, it was, at this point, at it's, this point, it it's comic. Very it's comical. very comical, silly. It's embarrassing, but but uh, at the time there was a certain uh, ridiculousness about it as well. But not, but it still was really real. Mm-hmm. People, I remember going. I was invited by a really good friend to go to this meeting at a community center in Kitsilano to to hear about the impending doom, right? Mm-hmm. And and there was in from the presenters, there was no question that we were up shit creek. It was going to be. Uh, just a matter of how far. And it was, we, the question was, you know, do you have, you know, are you making the choice to have three or four days worth of water or are you going for several weeks? Because it's it's going to be a shutdown, right? We're, the, the, <laughs> the planet is going to shut down for a period of time. We just don't know how long and it will be chaos and it will be anarchy and there will be some, it, they were totally convinced, right? Mm-hmm. That stroke of midnight, it would all go to hell. And of course, it just whoop, passed by yeah. as an absolutely inconsequential moment in time. And, and, uh, and, and but uh, that, that kind of weird state of mind that was uh, that was all around uh, at that point made me really interested in about these these um, well that infectious nature fear and as well as the sort of myth we have about the apocalypse the idea that the world is going to come to an end and um, how that keeps cropping up now and then and uh, where where the projection is really close not right now but pretty soon you know just down the road in a few months a few years or whatever and what that means about us. Um, yeah. I think it I, I I firmly believe it will continue to strike a chord whenever it comes up because it does reemerge all the time. And if I had time I was we were I was going to ask you about prophecies and about mm. these sort of end of the world prophecies that come up and and in so many different ways like it is comical but you can't help but have that or at least I can't help but have that little bit inside of me being like true. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to think of it's true in yeah. a way. I mean, it's horrible, but it's exciting, which is, I yeah. think, one of the characters of the play exists in that state of excitement, because I really think one of the things that drives that is a sense of, you know, um, it's ego, really, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it would be incredibly arrogant to think that, you know, three billion years of, of life and evolution is all going to end with us. Like, we'll be the last ones here to see it. Um, but of course, that's also very satisfying to think, right? Mm-hmm. Because then it doesn't mean we're going to be just drifting off into obscurity in the future. We will be it. It'll mm-hmm. all come to us. And so I think that's one of the things that drives the apocalypse myth is a kind of a narcissism of sorts. Well, I, uh, among other things, I, I think, I definitely think that the idea that we are we are at the top of the uh, pyramid of evolution, mm-hmm. and to think that we'll go out and we will be the uh, well, if global warming is the way we go, <laughs> that we have created our own doom because we have got we became the epitome of success. Right, the last word. Right. <laughs> Anyways, well, there's so many questions I'd love to ask you, but unfortunately, I just don't have the time. Thank you so much for joining My me. My pleasure. Today, Kevin. Thanks for having me in. No problem. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get back to the second half of my uh, shindig uh, 
recording last night. And um, please do call in for the funding drive. The number here is 8228648. I have got two sets of tickets. That's four tickets to Unity tomorrow night at the Frederick Wood Theatre to give away. Just call in, donate. We love hearing you. You love hearing us. So uh, let's show each other some love. How about that? But um, here, is, again, is last night's shindig at the Railway Club. And uh, I bring you some more crowd noises. Hi, I'm Jordy. Hey, so I'm uh, Duncan McHugh. I'm a DJ on CITR. I'm the host of uh, Duncan's Donuts. And Duncan, what does CITR mean to you? Well, uh, CITR is amazing. It's an oasis at UBC. I, I work at UBC and I, I love my job, but CITR provides like just a relief from all the stresses of my regular day. And it's a time in when, when I get to do what I want to do at uh, UBC. So I get to play uh, cute indie pop and it's, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, outlet for me. That's a beautiful answer, Duncan. Oh, well, th thank you very much. And, and I, I understand you're offering quite a prize this year for the fun drive for the person who calls into your show and donates the most money. Yeah, well, last year I gave away uh, a date with Duncan for donuts at a donut shop that doesn't exist anymore. And this year I think it's going to be uh, a chance to go sailing with me. So I'm going to do a sailing trip when it's uh, warmer out. Uh, around English Bay, and then uh, I'll take the person out for lunch at uh, the Jericho Sailing Club. Are, is it, are you a certified sailor, Duncan? I, I, I am. I have my bronze sail three, and uh, they, it raised a little bit of suspicion around uh, the station when I suggested this, but um, sailing in English Bay is one of the safest places you can sail in Canada. There, there's lots of other traffic, and uh, Jericho Search and Rescue has a very good view of everywhere we'll be, so it, it's totally safe. I would still suggest wearing a life jacket. Oh, that's Coast Guard certification. So we'll have a, a life jackets, a whistle, a bailer, and cute shorts. Yeah. Okay. Well, good to know. Cute shorts are, are definitely part of the package. Will you be wearing cute shorts? Obviously. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, call in and donate to the fund drive. Thanks, Duncan. Oh, you're very welcome. Philemon is my name. Philemon. Or Phil. With no D. Okay. Philemon. Nice. Thank you. A nice hat as well. Thanks a lot. Um, so the question tonight was, what does CITR mean to you? But because you're here at Shindig and you said you come every week, what does CITR's Shindig mean to you? It, it's uh, one of the nights of the week I look most look forward to most because it's uh, like whether I like a band or not, it's always guaranteed to be interesting, very interesting. And there's a diverse range of bands and I always find something to like. And it's good to come out and hang out and uh, watch bands that are like of completely different genres, often pretty much every time playing the same bill. And, and these aren't bands that you would necessarily hear on any other radio station, probably. Exactly. exactly. These aren't bands that I'd hear on. That these are bands that make me want to tune into CITR because I, you know, got kind of jaded with the idea of listening to the radio. And I think I, I'm going to be listening to CITR now. Pretty soon. Well, really, there isn't any other option, right? 
Yeah, I can't argue with that. Sweet. There's been a lot of good radio stations about that I know of, and and Shindig's impressed me. Fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much, Philemon. Thank you. Um, my, name, my name is Luke Meat. I'm the music director at CITR, 101.9 FM. And uh, Luke, what does CITR mean to you? Uh, it's all I have in the world. <laughs> oh, Luke. Luke, don't don't cry. Don't cry. No, Luke, CITR is, is there for you just as much as you are for them. Just, just, just cut to commercial. Oh, we're having a touching moment out here at the Railway Club tonight. Um, we'll, we'll have to get back to Luke. Uh, give him a moment. My name is Gord McCullough. And Gord, what does CITR mean to you? CITR is like a, a barrel of monkeys on fire rolling down a hill. It's just, it's, it's so exciting and meaningful and just... Explosive? Dangerously awesome and fun and you know uh it's one of those things that you know life throws you curveballs but sometimes the right pitch comes along and you smack it right right out of the park and that's what citr is it's a grand slam shea stadium is roaring and people are smiling and laughing and high-fiving and it's a celebration that that's beautiful did, did you just come up with that right now? Yes. See, that's what Shindig can do to people. That, that, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm Chris. Horrific <laughs> from CITR. And Chris, what does CITR mean to you? Um, it means that you can have a show on the radio with absolutely no talent and play songs that you really, really like to play. And, and you can support uh, bands like Fun 100 and the V-Lines uh, as I rub their chest. <laughs> yes, they happen to be surrounding us right now. Um, um, would you like... Sorry, they're very mighty men. My, mighty, mighty men. Would you like to contribute? What does CITR mean to you? It means Chris Horrific. It means Chris Horrific sending out his love yes. every Monday at 2... <laughs> yes, no, oh, it's good. I subscribe to the podcast, so do oh, I know. Give me a break. I, I forgot my show's right before it, so I, I don't know anything. <laughs> well, fair enough. I feel like there's a lot of love for CITR right in this circle right now. Most definitely. Well, that's all we really need. Thank you. <laughs> Are you ready? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. I'm Becky. I'm CITR's promotions director, and I love CITR because of the community. And I come to events like Shindig, and I eat lunch in the lounge, and there's always people there that are interesting and friendly. And I really appreciate that CITR has given me the opportunity to meet them and have something in common with them and get them together. Fantastic. And are you giving anything special away on your show for those people who call in and donate to the fun drive to make CITR happen this year? I am. My show's on Mondays from 11 to 12, and it's called Ground Control. And I'm giving away my special, super cute mix CD of my favorite and cutest songs. Well, that's that's fantastic and fabulous. I know that your entire uh, promo team has been working hard on uh, CD covers, so call into Becky's show, call into my show, and support CITR. Call in right now, 822-8648-UBC-UNIT. Yeah! 
All right, right here live from Shindig. That, that's Becky and Tracy. Yay! It was uh, quite a night there at the uh, Railway Club last night, and I definitely think you should all come out next weekend. Uh, it's, uh, it happens every Tuesday, every Tuesday night at the Railway Club uh, until the 9th, I believe, of December, and that's when we'll have our big finale. But before then, we'll be having our fun drive finale on the 29th of November at the Biltmore and that's when we will celebrate the $15,000 that we will hopefully have earned by that time. But until then, I did send my theater critic, Paul Riviere, out to see Unity by Kevin Kerr last week, and he brought back this review. So I just wanted to share it with you, and then that'll be the end of my show. But call in, 822-8648, fun drive, donate, to get free tickets to Unity 1918. Unity 1918 is a Canadian play set in a small prairie town just before the end of World War I. Written by Kevin Kerr and directed by Stephen Drover, it is the second production by UBC's theatre department to deal with the aspect of war. The first was Billy Bishop Goes to War, which I was pleased to review a few weeks ago. Together, the two plays give us completely different perspectives on the impact of war. Billy Bishop focuses on the experience of Canada's most famous flying ace, while Unity searches the lives of people who are left behind. Women mostly, and men who are either too young or too old to go to war. But Unity only starts with the theme of war. It then quickly moves on to examine how the integrity of a small community can be threatened by an enemy it cannot see or touch or fight against. In the beginning of the play, we meet Beatrice, a young, passionate woman who anxiously records her life in a diary. She longs for romance, for her first real kiss, and to be with a soldier she barely knows. For he is part of the war, part of that great big event that is happening over there and any news of Canada's brave fighting men carries with it a tone of excitement and longing for the women in the town of Unity. Beatrice knits socks for the soldier and dreams of romance while her younger and more precocious sister Sissy is determined to find romance right at home. For Sissy, time is short. She believes the end of the world is coming and therefore there is precious little time to pine for men that aren't around. Sissy quickly settles on Michael, a strong young man working for her father's farm. But the romance is short-lived, as Michael becomes one of the first victims in an influenza epidemic that spread across Canada and the world at the end of the First World War. On a global scale, 100 million people died from this disease, but despite this number, the epidemic has attained only a minor footnote in the pages of world history. Unity is a play that wants to make those numbers more personal. Life in the small town of Unity begins to change when a blind soldier comes, arrives. His impact on the town is ironically reflected by his new employment as the coffin builder. He works for his deceased father's assistant, Suna, poignantly played by Marianne Ronzetti. Suna works hard at her job as the town's new undertaker, and throughout the play, she is continually caring for the bodies of the dead. For Unity uses the threat and the power of death to examine how life changes when people are confronted with their own mortality. Quarantines, surgical masks, and the end of public meetings and personal handshakes all reflect a fear that threatens to divide and destroy the community. With wonderful performances by Jocelyn Gauthier as Beatrice, Christine J. Sudison as Sissy, Michael Neely as the blind soldier Hart, and Kevin Tyler Stark as Michael, Unity is a rare and poignant drama about the nature of fear and the management of death in a small community. Unity plays until November 22nd at UBC's Frederick Wood Theatre, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, 
I highly suggest you do. For the Arts Report, this is Paul Riviere. And a big thanks to Paul Riviere for his wonderful theater criti critiques, which he brings to me almost every week. He'll actually be going to tomorrow night to check out Green Thumb Theater's presentation of The December Man, which is playing on Granville Island uh, starting tomorrow. Um, but for those of you listening tonight... If you want to head out to see Unity 1918 by Kevin Kerr, which was just reviewed by my fabulous theatre critic, Paul, please give us a call here at the Funding Drive line. We will give you free tickets to get out there and to see the play. It's definitely a good break from your studies at this uh, hectic time of year, and I, I really hope you donate to our Funding Drive goal. I must admit that I am excited to announce that our grand total as of right now is 8 thousand two hundred and fifteen dollars and eight cents that's right we have surpassed my goal for this half hour so thank you so much to everyone out there for listening for donating for being a part of citr and for allowing us to happen because without you we couldn't and uh i really we all really appreciate your support and your ears. So uh, that's it for me th this week at the uh, at the Arts Report again. I uh, thank all of you for uh, joining me, and I hope you uh, tune in on Friday when I'll give you your weekend arts update, and tune in next week when I'll have my second edition of the Funding Drive Arts Report. This is Tracy Fuller signing off for the day. Thank you so much, and have a good one. Welcome to the Money Programme. Tonight, on the Money Programme, we're going to look at money. Lots of it, on film and in the studio. Beginning Thursday, November 13th at 5pm, you can make your mark on CITR 101.9 FM. Call 604-822-8648 and pay for your radio. We have volunteers waiting at the phone to take your call. We don't ask you often, folks, just once a year. Truth is, running a radio station with over 100 DJs using all sorts of equipment is an expensive venture. We do receive some funding from UBC students. However, extra funding is needed to help us grow and broadcast at our best. You can find out more info on the Fund Drive online at www.citr.ca. Heck, you can even donate online at www.citr.ca slash donate. It's so easy. The fun drive doesn't last long, though, so get your donations in. To receive great prizes, make sure you call 604-822-8648. That's 604-UBC-UNIT. Between Thursday, November 13th and Thursday, November 27th.